Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Can't get enough revenue intelligence through Reveal? Well, good news. Gong is gearing up for our annual conference, Yes, the big one, Celebrate 20, the Revenue Intelligence Summit. It's going to be on October 14th, and it's 100% virtual, so you can join us from anywhere in the world. We have some amazing speakers like negotiations expert Chris Voss, best-selling author Sheena Iyengar. No, not this Sheena. And executives from Drift, Outreach, Gong, and more. Reserve your seat today at celebrate.gong.io. So, Sheena, today we spoke to Sarah Bramfman, I hope I'm saying that last name correctly, who's VP of Partnerships at MongoDB. Now, she's an old colleague of yours, if I, if I remember correctly, because you got, mm-hmm. uh, you, you didn't get your start at MongoDB, right? But you were there in the early days. I was there. I was there um, probably had roughly 300 employees when I joined the company. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, approaching 900 when I left. Uh, so tripling over that time period. But the company grew and changed quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, which which uh, Sarah talks a little bit about uh, in this episode. And they did, uh, after hiring you and making that choice, they did go public. So uh, what do you want to call it? Causation or correlation? <laughs> I'm going to say uh, up, up to you to decide uh, how big of a factor that was. But um, no, in all seriousness, I, I love talking to Sarah today. One of the coolest things was that she started out as a professional ballerina in New York City. First one I've ever met, but also the level of dedication that she has is evident from the first 60 seconds of the interview. And you can feel it throughout the interview as it applies to everything she does from being a ballerina to now leading a, a partnerships team at a publicly traded company. Yeah. And you know, it's it was kind of uh, an example of every interaction with Sarah. I remember meeting her for the first time uh, when I was going through training at MongoDB and, and she came in to give a sales perspective and, and talk about selling at Mongo and she had so many amazing tidbits and tips and perspectives from her experience um, that I completely remember her, you know, taking over the room um, in her like four or five inch heels that she would wear at that time. Um, but it, it was it was great to have her on the show and have that uh, relive that experience in some way. She was great. I can't wait to talk to her again. Uh, for for listeners, here's what you're in for. You're, you're going to learn exactly you know the the phases of partnerships at mongodb she breaks that down and it's interesting because she applies like the different phases with where the company was at and as the company grows and evolves just five different types of partnerships that she breaks down i knew there was a lot but i didn't really put a number to it in my head i suppose and then the last part she covers is really interesting it's very tactical of how to effectively identify and, and incentivize partners to continue to grow revenue at the company which was which was great yeah, and for folks who either 
uh, don't necessarily know how to work best with their BD or partnership team. We get into that as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes business development can be a little bit of a, a black box. And how do you uh, understand how to help your deals and help your organization by collaborating with the, the ecosystem that's around you? Yeah, yeah. I left the interview thinking, dang it, I wish I had worked with partners more in my sales career. There's uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly some great upside there. But all right, well, let's, uh, let's go hang out with Sarah. So, Sarah, welcome to Reveal. We're so glad to have you here. Thanks, Sheena. Thanks, Devin. Really excited to be here. And uh, quick context for all the listeners, Sarah and I actually worked together uh, back at MongoDB while I, when I was there a few years ago. Um, so it's really fun to connect now in a different context and in a different format over audio on Zoom. <laughs> That's right. Very different from being in the office together. But nonetheless, our conversations are always great. So I'm looking forward to this one, too. 100%. So... You have a really interesting um, early professional career. You were actually a professional ballerina in New York. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and what, what it was about dance and pursuing it at that level that really inspired you? Absolutely. I, I was a professional ballerina. It feels like ages ago. I guess it was. You know, there are so many things that inspired me. I guess I can narrow it into two different parts. The first one is dance is really a way of communicating. And I think communication is so important. Martha Graham, she is a dancer and choreographer. She's known for reshaping American modern dance. She said dance is the hidden language of the soul. And I couldn't agree more with that. The second is that dance is a challenge. And Sheena, you and I have known each other for a while. I love a good challenge. So to excel, it takes extreme dedication constant practice. In sales, we say always be selling. In dance, it was always be practicing. You know me in person, so you can attest that while I may feel like I'm 10 feet tall, I'm not even five. And in ballet, <laughs> many of the starting roles, they, they're in corps. So for those who don't know what that is, it's basically a dance performed by a group of people who should all be a similar size. And I was never that size. So I knew that my path to success yeah would have to be as a soloist and leading roles where I was the only one on stage and my height wouldn't matter. This meant I had to work even harder to succeed. And then before moving to New York, where I danced professionally, while getting a double major at NYU, I was training over 40 hours a week in addition to high school, extracurriculars, helping with family business. When my friends were spending their summers at the beach, I spent summers training over 12 hours a day. And I just loved every minute of it. I really loved the challenge. That's amazing to hear. I similarly have a passion for dance, not at the same level as yours. I didn't dedicate it professionally, uh, but mm -hmm. I can completely understand like that level of dedication and practice and focus on yourself in order to, to succeed um, is so critical. And it definitely transfers over to the professional world. Um, mm -hmm. And yes, the, the, the confidence and the presence that you have in a room um, definitely shine <laughs> through. So those skills that you learn on the stage are so applicable and relevant in, in the sales world as well. Well, thanks, Sheena. That is very impressive. Um, 40 hours a week. I don't know if I've danced 40 hours in my life. Uh, this is probably for, for the better for people watching. But uh, it looks like you were also an associate producer on the NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams before getting over to MongoDB. I imagine that must have been a really unique experience. Do you have any, any interesting stories that you can share with us? Well, I was not in that Chinook helicopter in Iraq, but 
<laughs> it turns out neither was Brian, so I guess that wouldn't be a good story. Uh, seriously, though, um, I think my biggest lessons from all the exciting stories were just how to remain calm and focused under high pressure and constant chaos. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes to produce the show and tons of interesting stories and I'm really happy to have had these experiences. That is really interesting. And I mean, we'll get into your experience at MongoDB, but based on your experience so far, I have to imagine the sales and partnership career was rather tame uh, in comparison to some of these <laughs> other things. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all relative. So uh, today you live in, in Texas, um, you know, your, your early life you spent in New York, you, you describe yourself as a New York Texan, um, which <laughs> are very different places. What's your favorite thing about each of them? That is such a hard question, Sheena. They are so <laughs> radically different. New York City, it's in my blood. My Both sides of my family, they entered the U.S. through Ellis Island. They epitomized self-made, having to restart their lives from nothing. My father was born and bred in New York, but my mom's family moved to Texas decades ago. When I think of New York, I think of that palpable energy. It's just unlike any other place in the world. It forces you to be the best you can be. It's where I went to school, started my career. It's where I met my husband. As Frank Sinatra so eloquently put it, in New York, New York, which, by the way, was the final song in our wedding, uh, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, and just nothing can compare to that. Texas, though, that's also in my blood through generations of my mom's family, as I said, and it's where you learn to wear cowgirl boots, drive big trucks, and two-step, and it's also where my husband and I got married and where we currently live. My favorite thing about Texas, it's probably that it's true. Everything is bigger here. And this became quite convenient through COVID. I just think back to my husband and I living in a 400-square-foot New York City apartment, and I, I don't miss that. So I guess it all worked out quite well. <laughs> yeah, the, the timing worked out well, uh, but both great places. How, how would you describe your role now that you're the VP of Partnerships at MongoDB? Um, and and why, is, why is partnerships so important to Mongo's growth? I appreciate the question so much. I would say my fundamental mandate is to drive sales and customer satisfaction through our partners. We sell together and we ensure that our end customers get all of the right attention and are happy. Partners overall going into why it's important for MongoDB's growth, they're an X factor. An effective partner program exponentially increases sales effectiveness and accelerates productivity. Partners are in our target accounts, whether we're there or not. And in many cases, they're speaking with very senior level people about very large deals. And when we have them armed with strong MongoDB messaging for the customer and they understand the value of MongoDB to their own business, we just see that the deals grow and accelerate. We really do this through five different types of partners, so I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. And whether it's the cloud partners like AWS, GCP, Azure, or system integrators, which all major enterprises leverage to do an array of work from development to maintenance to implementation of software, or resellers. Those are the ones who manage the established paper process. They recommend technologies. They can fully represent us in select markets. There are tech partners. Those are software companies whose products integrate with MongoDB. So joint customers will have selected us both individually. But our ability to work together 
makes it for a smooth technical workflow, which of course the customers want. And then the ISVs and OEMs. These are software companies whose products are underpinned by MongoDB or they're offering a service around MongoDB. So my specific role is focused to those last three, the resellers, tech partners, and the ISV OEMs. And I'm building teams that drive sales with these partner types. And partnerships can really mean a lot of different things at different companies. So you'll see some organizations where those technology integrations are really core and others where it's really all about working with system integrators and and some places it could be something else. Uh, It could be more co-marketing with other uh, companies. I think when you joined the business development organization, you brought a really unique perspective because, again, you came from sales. Um, and how do you feel that sales perspective and the skills, the sales skills that you brought to business development really helped shape the organization that you built and the success that you've had with your team? I would say the most important sales skill out of everything that we can focus on is qualification. So if I think about that qualification as a sales skill and how that contributes to successful business development and partnerships, I break it into two parts. And maybe right before that, I'll just spend a little bit of time talking about qualification. It's what ensures you have a deep understanding of your customer's problems. The more you understand of a customer, the closer you can attach and align to their needs and position real differentiated value to them. And of course, in sales, it's not all about altruism. So when you deliver big value, it's often tied to big deals. The second part of qualification is ensuring that you're spending your time in the right places. The second best thing to a nice win is a really fast loss. And good qualification ensure you're investing your efforts in companies and in people that you can drive this value for and that you're not wasting your time or theirs where you won't. Time is such a precious thing. Kind of taking that and putting it into into partners, the sales qualification logic, it's the exact same with partners. The best partner executives take time to go and do that deep discovery and qualification on their partners. They're multi-threaded. They're listening and connecting with individuals all across the partner's organization to understand and to cross-reference where the partner really is on their strategic initiatives. Where do they want to be? What are the requirements to to get there? And how are they going to ultimately measure success? So similar to a direct sales cycle, this qualification aligns you to the right partners, disqualifies the wrong partners, and helps to build comprehensive programs that really drive that value to both your partner and ultimately to your partner's end customer. That's really interesting because I think, I mean, qualification is something that's been, you know, huge in sales. And it's something that I think like since the pandemic has shifted for companies, right, as they kind of reevaluate what qualification looks like. And I think there's, it's hard sometimes for sellers themselves to qualify out. You know what I mean? I think people want to Mm -hmm. hang on to that. Is there any advice you can maybe give for kind of like maybe specific signals to look for where it's like, hey, it might feel tough to to say goodbye to something, but in the long run, it's actually, you know, going to save you time and you can invest that time in better places. Yeah, I mean, the signals, I think the thing is the signals are so obvious in many cases, but you're right, we want to hang on because we've invested the time, we've had the calls, and we're emotionally invested in it. So I think not being afraid 
to actually see the signals that are right there in front of you from you know, a partner perspective or a customer perspective. If they're not in pain, everything comes to pain, right? If they're not in pain and if you don't have something that can help them to achieve whatever their future goal is, then, uh, then there's not really that much to talk about sure. and that's okay. But then you have to be able to recognize it and, you know, and move on. So I think it's really just about being honest with yourself and kind of separating that emotional investment and saying, Hey, it's a sunk cost. And it's, it ends up being better for both of you. There are many cases where I've qualified out specific opportunities or customers or partners. And actually by doing that upfront, you can get a lot of credibility and trust from your customer or partner because they understand that you really are listening to them and you really are aligning to what matters to them most. And that will actually help you in the future because you have that inherent trust built. So when they do have something that you know is more meaningful alignment between your organizations, you'll already be set above everybody else. Yeah, there's times where, you know, buyers might feel like the seller's trying to get it, you know, get, get the deal done by any means, even if it isn't a great mm-hmm. fit. And so when you do acknowledge that, it definitely does bring credibility in because there's, there's some inherent honesty there. Absolutely. All right, everyone. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. While no two partnership programs are exactly the same, the companies that are the most successful at developing partnerships focus on the long game. According to Forrester, companies with mature partnership programs grow revenue nearly twice as fast as those with newer programs, with partners contributing 28% of overall company revenue on average. But even companies with newer programs report an average revenue increase of 18%. HubSpot is one example of a great partnership success story, producing around 42% of the company's customers and 33% of its revenue within just the first quarter of their program's launch. Stay tuned to the microaction at the end of the interview for ways to identify and attract your ideal partners. So for the audience, I was actually on the business development team at MongoDB um, in, the, in the early days of the company. And partnerships have always been really core and critical to, to the company how we prioritize and focus on partnerships did evolve and change as the company grew and changed and is now a public company. I'm curious, what types of challenges does the business development organization at Mongo face today? Um, and, and this could have evolved because the company went public, because the team has grown, the organization has grown, you're working with new types of partners. But what are some of those, those challenges today? Um, and kind of, I think associated with that, one of the things that can often happen with BD is that it is, uh, I don't want to say like second-class citizen, but if you're not proving the value, you're not getting the budget and you're not getting a seat at the table. So how do you kind of like balance these challenges and make sure that BD has that voice um, at the table? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of questions in that one. I'll, um, I'll take it into a couple parts and I'll start with that last thing because, because you're right. And, in many cases, business development, partners, indirect sales, however you refer to it, can be seen as the second-class citizens. And I think, I think it's because of things that others have done in the past that really weren't working. The partner teams, this isn't specific to MongoDB or any one company, just in general, can get a bad reputation for being complacent or not driving value to the organization 
This might manifest itself into ambulance chasing deals, you know, tagging them when there was really no influence or even getting in the way of them. And I am really proud of the brand that the MongoDB partner team has within the organization and that it couldn't be further from that. You know, celebrating this is really important also to continue to boost morale and to show the importance and to raise more awareness to others within the company you know, who might not be leveraging their partner team. So the partner team is often highlighted in WinWires. We were highlighted in the last earnings report and also the one before that in CRO updates, really as that X factor that influences a significant percentage of our revenue. So that's on that part. But you know, to get that, you have to have a, you know, a real program, and there are plenty of challenges that, that go around it. I think you know, kind of backing up and looking at MongoDB all through the years, one challenge in general is the partner strategy has to evolve as the company evolves. And I'm fortunate that I've had an amazing opportunity to touch every sales role in my nine years here at MongoDB. And I've worked closely with partners through each of them. But through all these roles, MongoDB was in a different phase. I think of MongoDB in three big phases. The first one is technology. And in technology, MongoDB's focus was, and our key objective, was optimizing for the product market fit. And our metrics for success were around the number of downloads of our open source version, um, and things like that. So a challenge would be, well, how do you know how and when to use partners and making sure that you're aligning them to what matters most to you? In our phase one, partners were critical in driving awareness to the community and showing the viability and the credibility of the product. I mean, back at, at the time when I joined, I was the first enterprise account exec. It was a 30-person startup selling a product that you know, nobody knew, and it was, it was free, right? So it was really important to have the partners there helping us through that. The second phase was around go-to-market. And with this, we were combining the execution and the expertise in technology with the execution and expertise in sales and in marketing. And our go-to-market execution became a competitive differentiator every bit as strategic as the technology execution. And of course, a critical part of the go-to-market execution was with partners. As we discussed before, partners are in the customer accounts, whether we're there or not. So in the second phase where we were able to align with partners and help them to really realize the true monetary value and have their partnership kind of for them be a competitive differentiator and for us lead into mission critical deployments at end customers that could help align with our commercial offerings, starting to position the commercial and driving revenue more so than the phase one type partners, which were focused more on awareness. Um, this, of course, helped MongoDB to increase the productivity per sales rep dramatically and helped us prepare for phase three, which is a public company. And now as a public company, we've been, we've continued to invest in technology and go to market. We're growing organically, but our partners now are really important and giving us more reach and more breadth. And we're in a position where we can do the same back to them. So I would say the challenge is how do you identify based on where you are as a company, the types of partners that you need and 
know how to incentivize them and how to make sure that you're just aligned with expectations of what you're each getting from each other and the value that you're then together driving for the end customers. I like how you broke that down into those different phases. Um, and it's, it's really important for not only the business development leader, but the broader company leadership to understand where your organization fits in whatever mm-hmm. phase you may be in, you know, may be in. And that will have to determine the priority um, and the focus on, on partner types, on specific partners, um, and how do you really build out that, that organization and, and the go-to-market plan. Absolutely. And there, there are so many things and so many challenges that, that just continue to come. I, I know with me personally, I struggle a lot with having finite time and, and needing to have constant focus. It's really easy to get excited and want to onboard every partner. This goes back, Devin, to what we were talking about before on qualifying out. You can't onboard every partner and you can't try to launch multiple programs at once. What happens there is you end up frustrated, your partners end up frustrated. So it's just important to be intentional and deliberate with where and how you are investing so that the partnerships that you are having are meaningful and that starts to become a flywheel of its own. Yeah, most definitely. Do you have any advice that you could share for for sales leaders listening of how to identify and incentivize partners? Maybe maybe through an example of, of one of your own experiences. So, so this all really goes back to, you know, to this sales mindset. The right way to incentivize them is to first understand what is even important to them. So when I think about the right value proposition, it's who is the person that you're reaching out to? What type of company is it? What is their role in them, in that company? Because you want to attach to what matters most to them and then articulate how you can help them to achieve it. For an example, This morning, I was on the phone with a large software company. They build enterprise software for banks. They have thousands of customers, some of the largest banks in the world, and they're looking to expand in other areas. From a business perspective, what matters most to them is that strong brand visibility and relationships to help open up doors. That is very different from another partner who I was speaking with earlier this week. They're focused on having a complete enterprise level story that's about de-risking deployments. So the value prop for each of those is different. The incentives for them are different. It can sometimes be around technology. Sometimes it's really around business. If you think about the go-to-market piece in particular, there's so much in there. Some partners will prefer to get a, a referral bonus. We do that quite a bit, that if they source an opportunity, they'll get a percentage of net sales. Others like that to go into a marketing fund because they want to ride on the brand of MongoDB. So doing joint marketing together and MongoDB funding that from percentages of our joint sales is meaningful for them. Others might do a resale arrangement. They like to take the margin directly on top, and that can also give the customers a streamlined experience and this doesn't have to be your traditional resellers we see this a lot with isvs and oems Um, there's also you know a whole oem model where some partners are incentivized by really wrapping mongodb up into one of their applications and making it transparent to their end customers where they're able to have probably the largest margins and give a 
a simpler experience to the customer, which can improve your customer satisfaction even more. So there are so many ways to do it, so many ways to think about it. But you know, the right way ultimately is you've got to understand what's important to the partner and know that within each partner, there are going to be many, many people who all have things that are important to them that might be different from the others. So just aligning to that as you build the whole partner program for each of them. That's really interesting. I can, and I can now tell how your enterprise sales background and, you know, running complex sales cycles and (laughs) solution mapping has made you so successful in the partnership realm. A lot of overlap. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And I think those same lessons that you learn through sales, they really are applicable regardless of what you do. And of course, in personal life also. Sales DNA from every part of me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My husband loves when, you know, I make everything his idea that were ultimately the things I wanted. <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely great. <laughs> People power. don't, uh, that's right, superpower. They don't disagree with their own ideas. So you just have to find a way to make it their idea first. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So we talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, the impact of business development to an organization and, and making sure you're, you have that seat at the table. How do you measure the success of your team? Are there certain uh, KPIs and, and metrics that you, that you uh, track regularly and report out to the org? So ultimately, the success of the team is measured by, you know, by happy customers. So that's always the end goal that we're looking for that determines the right partners and if we're doing the right things. Um, everyone in the partner team is measured on, on a quota, though. We're all directly aligned to revenue. It's specifically new ACV. So we're looking for growth that our partners are sourcing or influencing, whether it's expansion in existing accounts or helping to land in net new logos. So everything really goes around that. And then there are many leading indicators for that that are really important to do. And I would say that's one of the challenges, you know, as a leader for a business development team in particular, is finding this balance between doing the actions right now that you know will have high yield in the future, but having still a quota that you have to be closing deals and, you know, and all of that. One way that that we tackle this, this is specific to ISV OEM, but it's relevant to some of the others as well, is with this idea of measuring a design win. So when you think about a direct sales cycle, in that case, once you have convinced the end customer to use MongoDB and they're going to engage in the commercial version of MongoDB, at that point, it would be a, a sale. But with ISVs and OEMs, for example, they might have decided, yes, they're going to replatform or launch their product on MongoDB. We might have agreed on pricing and packaging for them. However, that ultimate revenue won't come until, until they're selling their product. So there are these additional steps that are involved. You know, if we don't put in the work to help that ISV to replatform to MongoDB from legacy or to launch on MongoDB to begin with and go through the technical feasibility workshops, go through the POCs, help them with benchmarking. This is really heavy lifting work. But if we don't do that, then we never ultimately get their many end customers who otherwise would have then been exposed to MongoDB. So it's, it's interesting just 
having this critical balance between driving these design wins and then operationalizing them and making sure that you're continuing to feed the funnel while taking care of those that are out there and driving the end customer success. Yeah, it seems like there's this interesting balance of investing now for the future and acting now on business that are that's going to have results in the short term and being mindful of, uh, of mm-hmm. and I, I would imagine that it's honestly experience where you're able to kind of draw that line and make those decisions uh, mm-hmm. once you've gone and through the process with multiple partners. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And being really intentional, this goes into how there's so many different ways to use the data, but how to get the most out of the data that you have so that you're making the right bets. Because in this example, for an ISV design one, if it's going to be a 12-month sales cycle to convince this company to replatform their product to MongoDB, but if they don't have that many customers or if it's not a critical application, then you know, determining some of the key partners to align with, you know, it's, it's seeing what will the yield of that be because for better or worse, that does have an impact on how much we can invest in them versus when you see some companies, if they have thousands of end customers there, like the one I was talking about before, thousands of end customers, they are servicing the largest banks in the world. And all of these applications are going to be mission critical. We can make a strategic decision to invest the time, the energy into helping them to get on board, even though we know it might be an incremental year or two years until they're selling their deals. But when those deals start to come, that's a huge revenue source for the company. Just takes time to build it up. Shifting gears a little bit, I know a lot of our listeners are sales reps, sales managers, et cetera. What is your advice for folks in the sales org on how to best work with uh, the partnerships team and with partners in general? So for sales folks working with partners and working with partner teams, I think expectations are so, so important to set up front and expectations, you know, include what, what value are you expecting to bring to the partner? Why should they partner with you? And also what are you expecting to get from them? So when you have these upfront commitments with each other, it just helps to make it. So everything else is so smooth. I've seen breakdowns way too many times where people either hear what they want to hear, or they're not asking the tough questions or they're never really saying what they expect. And then everyone ends up unhappy. A sales rep will feel like the partner didn't do what they needed to do. The partner will feel like they were abused by the sales rep and didn't get anything back. And that's never good. So with, with our sellers, we often will have a prep call before ever talking with them and a partner so that we can be very intentional going into that meeting. We know what's the expectation, what do we want to get out, We're also prepped on all of our own information so that we can share it freely with the partner while we're assessing what the partnership would look like and how each party is going to get value from it. So that's, that's what I would say. And I think the other part is the partner world can feel so complex. There are so many different types of partners. There's so many different shapes and sizes and, and it can be a lot to make your head spin. So just don't be afraid. Reach out to your partner teams. They understand it. They live and breathe it every day and, you know, and embrace it. 
because the sales teams at MongoDB that embrace the partners the most tend to have the highest productivity and they're our top global performers. There's no reason to go at it alone. Your partners are there in your accounts. And so you guys might as well be selling together. They have full teams that I kind of think of each other as, you know, each other's franchises. So that goes back to the multiplier effect. And who doesn't want to be a global top producer? I mean, hey, why, why not partner <laughs> make that happen? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so email, email your partner team if you haven't introduced yourself as yet. Do that as a follow-up to this podcast. It, it's mm-hmm. perfect timing. I actually have a, a partnership sync with our team next week. So I feel like I've just been uh, armed with how to go into it effectively. So Sarah, we ask all of our interviewees the same question to end the session, which is how would you describe sales in one word? So this, uh, this is a hard one, guys. I think the one word would be trust. That's really what it comes down to. When you've built up the trust, which again, you can only get from deeply understanding each other, deeply understanding each other's missions and goals and shortcomings and how you're going to work together. It just makes for a meaningful relationship and you know, and then it accelerates the whole relationship. It's easier to have quick back and forths. It's easier to be more productive in the field when you have that inherent trust. But trust is really hard to build, and it's really easy to lose. So there you have it. All, all of more. all of those words to say trust. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's phenomenal. I was half betting you're going to say partnerships uh, <laughs> as your answer. But. <laughs> That's great. I'm not that cheesy. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Sarah. It was was great. It was, thank you for your wisdom. I definitely learned a lot as someone who's not really, you know, dabbled much in partnerships or honestly worked much with, you know, a partnerships team. This was, this was phenomenal insight. Thank you. Excellent, Devin. My pleasure. It was so great to catch up. Thanks so much for being on the show with us. Thanks, Sheena. As Sarah's own enterprise sales background shows, there's a lot of overlap between the ability to run complex sales cycles and developing successful partnerships. Here are some of the key questions to help you create the right incentives for potential partners. What's most important to each partner? It could be brand visibility, relationships, or the ability to make their own product more complete. What value are you offering? It could be monetary, like percentage of sales, or other value, like co-marketing if you have a strong brand. And finally, what upfront commitments are each of you willing to make and what are the expectations on both sides? Think through these questions as you develop your own partnership strategy. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.